We're so glad that you're taking time to listen to this week's message from Bethel Worship Center. Uh, we pray that it blesses you wherever you are in your faith journey. Uh, we do want to let you know that we are open. Our campus is open. Uh, we invite you to go to bwccamden.com. Uh, you can find out everything that we're offering right now at this time and in this season. So make sure to, to, to go there and find the ways that you can stay up to date with everything happening at Bethel Worship Center. But again, uh, wherever you are in your faith journey, whether you are uh, exploring more about faith, learning who Jesus is, learning about God, uh, you're new in your walk with Jesus Christ, or you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, we pray that today's message blesses you, it encourages you, it equips you. So God bless you. Thank you again for taking part. Well, we have been uh, in a series called Values, um, and we have been talking the last several weeks about who we are at our core, who we are as a family of God at Bethel at, at, our, at our core, and the things that we want to represent us to those that we come in contact with. Um, we started off and we said that we want to be a body, a group of people that love like Jesus, that loves with no conditions, because we believe that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus taught us to do. He told us a new command, I give you love one another. And we believe that we were to love the way that Jesus loved us, right? Not based on what's in it for us, but based on how we can show the love of God to others. We said that we want to be a church that grows together with a hunger, right? We want to be a church that grows with hunger. And this happens together. We looked at, our scripture, at scripture and to see where it shows us that, that Jesus has called us to be disciples. That when we become followers of Christ, we don't just become Christians by name. And it becomes a label that's placed on us. We become followers of Christ. And being a follower of Christ means that we become a disciple of Christ. But we saw that he didn't call us just to be a disciple. He called us to be a disciple who makes disciples. So we looked at how, what are we doing to grow together with hunger? And I just want to take this opportunity to shameless plug, to, to make sure that you are doing everything you can to see the opportunities we are offering. You can find them online. How, how can you plug in and, and be a part of some type of discipleship group that is meeting, whether it's somewhere else uh, in, uh, at a home or here in, uh, on campus. So I just encourage you to check that out online, how you can do that. If you are still interested in hosting a small group, we want to help you do that. So just Talk to one of us. We'll help you get started. And on-campus discipleship is starting tonight. So uh, we would love to have you join us tonight. If you signed up for the Spiritual Warfare Group, that's going to be meeting in the hub of the education. If you didn't sign up for a group, you can join me right here in the auditorium. It's going to be more laid back. I won't be up here. I'll be down there with you. We'll be having conversation, just a, a time of discipleship. But we'll have stuff going on for girls Stuff going on for boys. Youth will still be having their youth service in the gym. So it starts at 6. I encourage you to come grow together with a hunger. We said to Pastor Brian, uh, did our service a couple of weeks ago. We said we want to be a church that worships with wonder. And it was awesome to see this God of wonder who created the universe. And we look at this universe and we see the wonder that our universe is. How can we not worship the God who created it? And we say, he, he pointed out the fact that Jesus taught us to pray that, that uh, his kingdom come, his will be done. We need to join our hearts with the kingdom of heaven. And what are they doing in heaven? They are constantly worshiping 
the Savior. They're constantly worshiping. Scripture tells us they're around his throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And when we come together, there's power in the unity of coming together to worship our God with wonder. So we want to be a church that worships with wonder. And last week we talked about how we want to be a church that serves with selflessness, that, that Jesus Christ himself came into this earth, not to be served, but to serve that Paul wrote that we need to have the same mindset of Christ and to consider others ahead of ourselves, to do nothing out of selfish ambition. And that, that we need to find the gift that we have and work in the gift that we had as Peter wrote to serve one another, right? And so we need to, to be, we want to be a church that, and a group of people that serves with selflessness. Now today, we're going to talk about one other value. We got today, we got next week, and we'll wrap it up. But today, we're going to talk about, we want to be a people, we want to be a church that gives with joy. We want to be a church that gives with joy. Now, I just want to remind you, the whole reason that we're talking about these characteristics, these values, is because we believe these things are what we're called to be. If we're followers of Christ, if we are people who honor him and people who live our life for him, these are things that we are called to do. These are things that we see all throughout scripture. Those who are in relationship with God living out. These are things that we see Jesus Christ himself represent when he was here on this earth. These are things that we see the early church doing. And these are things that we believe we should follow as well. We have been doing these things as a church for years. I've told you this. We're just putting kind of statements on it. And I just want to say... This is a giving church. You're an extremely giving body of people. And we are so grateful for the way that you give. We're so grateful for the way that you give. But I just want us to continue to look today at what we see in scripture that encourages us on why, why this should be at our core who we are, a people who give with joy. There was a Forbes article it was actually written in 2012. It was written by a lady named uh, Cheryl Nance Nash. And she wrote about this guy called Peter Grandich. The title of the article was, Is the Bible the Ultimate Financial Guide? Is the Bible the Ultimate Financial Guide? And so, you know, she wrote this. I, I did some looking on Peter Grandich. He's still, uh, this was written almost 10 years ago now, but he is still in, in, in the business world and using the principles that he talked about in this article as the guide for the way that he does business. And I thought it was interesting, the quotes and the things that he says in here about himself. He references a book he wrote. But he, he mentions in the fact, and he talks about this in his book that he wrote, he, he, uh, he talks about how he was a highly successful stockbroker in Wall Street. But even though he was a highly successful stockbroker in Wall Street, he was spiritually depleted and he became, became clinically depressed. And his life turned around when he, when he found God and found what it mean, what finances really meant. And he made these quotes. These quotes were shared by the author of him. He said, I get my financial guidance from the Bible. Money and possessions are the second most referenced topic in the Bible. Money is mentioned more than 800 times. And the message is clear. Nowhere in scripture is debt viewed in a positive way. He goes on, he writes, he says, the writers of the Bible anticipated the problem we would have with money and possessions. There are more than 2,000 references. Our whole culture now is built on the premise that we have to have more money. Listen to what he says. It's built on the premise that we have to have more money 
And we have to have more stuff to feel happy and secure. And he says this, he says, public storage is the poster child for what's wrong in America. Now, if you have storage companies and, and you have, have these storage units, uh, please don't take offense to this statement or anything like that. You may have those. If you own those types of things and people rent them from you, again, the, no offense here. But the point he's making is it's just a picture of how we are as a society. He says, we have too much stuff because we've bought into the myth fabricated by Wall Street, where he came from, and Madison Avenue, that more stuff equates to more happiness. And that's the total opposite of the truth and the opposite of what it says in the Bible. And I would 100% agree with what Grandich is saying. The author of the article ends her article by saying, maybe it's time we go back to Sunday school. (laughs) But I want us to think about this today. I want us to think about how we often, and and just think about our life, because maybe this doesn't reflect you, maybe this isn't you, but to truly look at yourself, because I've been doing this, and think, do I put more confidence in my resources or the resources that we have, or my ability to obtain resources than I do in putting my confidence in God? Where do I truly put my trust? If we remember, uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, we were looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And we were looking at these verses and how they characterized the early church, how they characterized who they were as a church. If you weren't here, that's okay. You can, you can go back in your, in your Bible sometime this week and, and look in Acts 2, 42 to 47. You'll see kind of what it was talking about this church as the church was birthed. But it uses this phrase to describe them and to, to say how they were. It says that they were a group, they were a people who had glad and generous hearts. The early church found more joy in giving to others than they did in obtaining stuff. You know, when we read the word of God, when we, when we study this word, we, we should, it should cause us to think. It should cause us to look at the scripture and think about things. Not just think about the people that we're reading about and their day, but it should cause us to do introspection in our life as well. And to put ourselves in their shoes and to say, okay, if I'm reading this and I say, all right, man, these, the early church, they really had a, they did, they had a lot more joy in giving to others than getting and obtaining. Am I that way? Am I the type of person, if I'm a follower of Christ, if I'm a disciple of God, am I the type of person who finds more joy in blessing someone else than getting a blessing on my own? You know, one of the biggest, or maybe not the biggest reason, but a a reason that we often feel like we can't be generous is because we put a large amount of worth or we worship the very thing we're supposed to be giving away. I mean, one of the most popular scriptures when it comes to money, I I imagine it would come to your mind if you think about it. It's, it's, in a, it's where Paul was writing to Timothy. And he tells him, for the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil, right? And sometimes that, that verse often gets misquoted and it says, and, and, it, and they take out the love of part. And they'll say, well, money is the root of all kinds of evil. But that's not the truth. The truth of the scripture is the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying we need to make sure that we are not putting more worth, that we are not worshiping and loving our resources, our ability to obtain resources more than we are the God who has said, I will provide everything that you need. And that's what I want us to look at. That's what I want us to think about today. We can go to, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in your Bibles. We're going to go there this morning. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is trying to, uh, trying to uh, in, encourage and inspire the Corinthian church to give and, and to continue giving the way that they had been giving. To not let, to not let uh, wealth that might happen in their life stop them from continuing to be the givers that they have been. And he encourages them by talking about a group of people from Macedonia, the Macedonians. And Paul is so encouraged by the Macedonians. And the reason is, is because the Macedonians are a, they, they were physically poor. They did not have a lot, but their hearts were not poor. It, the way that we read this, scrap, this, this scripture, this passage of scripture is, is it comes across that the Macedonians seem to be in a lot, in, in poverty almost even. And I want us to notice when we read it, the way that Paul is not pressuring them. He's letting the Corinthian church know, I pressured them in no way to give. In fact, I encouraged them not to give because he knew their situation. And I think that's a note that we should take because if you ever give and, and we're going to see this verse a little bit later. If you ever give because you're pressured or feel pressured by man to give, don't give. I pray to God that you never feel pressured to give when you're in this church. I pray that you give, as we're going to see, because of what God has done in your heart and in your life. But, but he's talking about them and he's talking about how wonderful... It is to see what they're doing because of what God is doing in them. So let's, let's look at these verses real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we'll look at verse 1. We'll start at verse 1. Let's see what Paul says. Paul says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. And he goes on, he says, They are being tested by many troubles. And they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant, what? Joy. Which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. In other words, what Paul is saying is we were refusing to take what they wanted to give, but they begged us and they begged us and they begged us, please take what we're trying to give you. 
He says, they even did more than we hoped for their first action. And listen to this. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Let's just stop there for a second, because this is the type of heart that we should desire to have in our life. This type of heart, this type of spirit in us, this generosity in us, that we are filled with abundant joy through what God has done in our life. And through that joy, generosity is produced in us. And notice again what he says, that they gave themselves first to God. When we give ourselves totally and completely to God, God begins to work in our life and God begins to move in us and God begins to direct our life. So because we are in God, because they were in God, God was directing them to be the people that they were being. God was moving in them. God was giving them this joy. God had placed such an abundant amount of joy in their life. The circumstances that were surrounding them would say to them, you, don't, you shouldn't have joy. But their joy wasn't coming from the circumstances. The joy was coming from God. And so because of this joy that God had given them, there was a generous spirit that was being produced in their heart. Total counterculture to what it should have been. So again, this is the type of heart that we should desire to have. And it's one that, that, that Paul was encouraging the Corinthian church. And I believe it's one that Paul would encourage us even today as a church, as a part of the body of Christ to be generous. Look here at what he says in verse seven. He says, since you excel in so many ways, you excel in your faith. In other words, you have an abundant amount of faith in God. You know, there's no one would question that you trust God, that you believe in God, that you have a faith in God, that you walk with God. You know his scripture. You know what's been taught. You've listened to the apostles. You go, you, you go to the temple. You do the things that you're called to do. Your faith, you're excelling in your faith. You excel in your gifted speakers. In other words, the Corinthian church had people who were gifted in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people were using their gifts to share the good news, the gospel, and people were coming to know Christ. You excel in the gifts, in those gifts. You excel in your knowledge. In other words, you excel in, in, in learning more and more about the scripture and learning more and more about what God taught. You excel in, again, in listening to the apostles and trying to grow. They were growing together with hunger. <laughs> they excelled in their knowledge. You excel in your enthusiasm. They had a passion for God. People knew they were passionate about God. You excel in your love from us or in, in some translations say for us. In other words, th- there is a love between a relate in the relationship between the apostles and the Corinthian church. That was great. You excel in that. There's such great love between us and in our relationship. But then look what he says. And you've probably already seen it. I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. Excel in giving, not just in the other things, excel in the whole picture because this is what God does in us. But see, giving can't just be something that we do. 
to excel in giving. Giving can't just be something that we do. Giving has to be a characteristic of who we are. And that would be a generous people. I heard a pastor by the name of Chris Hodges share this. He's a pastor in Alabama. But when he shared it, he said that he had heard John Maxwell share it. So if it's from John Maxwell, you know, and he's getting it from the Bible, then you know it's good, right? So John Maxwell, if you don't, maybe you, you may have heard of who John, John Maxwell before. He's a phenomenal teacher on leadership. But before he was a phenomenal teacher on leadership, he was a pastor <laughs> and a phenomenal pastor. But he shared this and he said, when you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, maybe you've heard that story, you may know that story, but the story of the Good Samaritan tells, it comes when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? And that was led to ask because he told them that one of the great commands was to love your neighbor as yourself. And see the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were trying to trap Jesus. And so he then began to teach them who their neighbor is and he tells them what's become known as the story of Good Samaritan. And there's three different groups of people that we see in this story other than the guy who was traveling. There are those that beat the traveler up and rob him. There's those that, who are priests and Levites who go by him and do nothing to help him. And then there's a Samaritan who stops and helps him. So Hodges shared that Maxwell shared these different attitudes that are represented. And I, love, I loved it, so I wanted, I wanted to share it. With you, So now you can say that I heard Javen's share from Chris Hodges, from John Maxwell, from Jesus about this story. <laughs> but it, there's three characteristics. The first characteristic, the first attitude that's represented comes from the robbers. It comes from the thieves. And the attitude that's represented is one that says, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. It's an attitude of greed because greed says, I'm not satisfied with what I have. I want more. I'm not content. I'm not happy. I might, I might get happy for a moment because I got this thing, but it's not going to take long for that thing to not make me happy anymore. I need something else to make me happy. So I, I, I need more. I need more. In Luke chapter 12, we see Luke is describing something that happened while Jesus was teaching. And, and because of what's being taught, you have to believe that it's in the same time of where we see in Matthew's gospel where what we, what's become known as the Sermon on the Mount is happening. So basically what Luke is giving is his description of, of a part of what happened at the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, he, and it's kind of humorous because he tells us this description. He says, Jesus is teaching. And in Luke chapter 12, it's around verse 13. We see this guy, he says, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the estate with me. That he needs to divide the estate with me. And Jesus' response is, who, who made me the judge of that? You know, and, and I, now I'm a... Sadly, sarcasm just kind of comes natural to me. And so I do that. Uh, and, and so I read the, I, a lot of times I'll read things in a sarcastic way because that's how my mind works. But I'm sure that Jesus wasn't being sarcastic here because the characteristics of Jesus was one of grace and truth, right? So I'm, he was probably speaking this in a very graceful and loving way, right? But he's like, who, who has made me the judge of whether or not how your brother's estate should be di- divided? and you're in your brother's estate. 
And then Luke tells us what Jesus says next. And he says these words in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. And, I can, and in my mind, I can't help but picture this guy who just yelled out in the crowd this question, probably with such boldness and confidence. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's setting everybody straight. He's about to set my brother straight. My brother's going to give me what's mine. And so he's probably so bold and confident. And then Jesus says, beware, guard yourself against all kind of greed. I can only see this guy (laughs) kind of tucking himself back. I don't know if you use gifts or gifs or whatever you call them. There's that popular one of Homer Simpson, and forgive me for using the Simpsons, where he kind of gathers himself back into the shrubbery to hide, you know, maybe you've seen that. That's kind of the picture I get of of this guy. He's just kind of pushing himself back away. And what does he say? He says, life is not measured by how much you own. And then he goes into this teaching about the dangers of treasuring your possessions over your relationship with God. And that we have to guard against this. And he teaches according to, to Luke. And, and, and Matthew shows this teaching as well. The danger of worrying constantly about meeting our needs. About not being able to meet our need. And not letting that worry keep you from doing the things that God is leading you to do. And not letting yourself become so, having such treasure in what you have and your ability to obtain than your relationship with God. And see, we may think that, well, I would never be characterized as someone who robs someone or beats someone up to take their stuff. That's not me. I'm not, I'm not, I've never done that. Hopefully you haven't. And I'm not going to do that. I don't plan on doing that. Hopefully you're not. So that, you know, that's not a part of who you are, but how often have you looked and seen or scrolled and thought, man, I wish I had that. How often have you fell prey to the bug of envy? You've became jealous. You've even coveted and wished in such a strong way that you had what they had. If I could just have what they have, if I could be, have the life they have, do what they're doing, then I can have joy. Well, first of all, you're, prob- you're just seeing a highlight reel and probably it's not a true reel. But secondly, and most importantly, the joy don't come from that. It comes from your relationship with God. And I want us too to think about the words of Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. Malachi is talking, the prophet Malachi is speaking to those believers, followers of God, constantly following the regulations, going to the temple and told them, you've robbed God. You're cheating God. And they said, well, how have we robbed God? We're not doing anything to rob God, to cheat God. When you, you rob God and you cheated God because you're not bringing your tithes and your offerings to the storehouse of God. And, you, you know, that, that is, you say, well, that's Old Testament. 
That's in the whole of the Bible. And we'll see, we'll see that in just a second. But we can't be characterized as those that robbed the guy traveling that day. Don't let our mentality be, what's yours is mine and I want it. To have an attitude of greed that I'm not content in what I have, give me more. The second attitude, the second characteristics represented by the, by the priests and the Levites, and that is one that says what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. And that's an attitude of selfishness. We spent a lot of time on selfishness last week. But God hasn't created in us a selfish mindset. We, we said it earlier. We reminded ourselves earlier. We need to have the mindset of Christ to do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's not the characteristic that God wants us to have. That's not the characteristic that represents Jesus. The characteristic that represents Christ is the one that comes next. And that's the characteristic of the Samaritan who comes across this man and his attitude and his heart was one that says, what's mine is yours and I'm going to use it to help you. This is an attitude and a heart of generosity. Let's jump back to 2 Corinthians. I want us to see a couple of things that Paul goes on in chapter 9 to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds is going to get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And this is so powerful and so true. We need to hear this. Don't give it reluctantly and don't give it in response to pressure. Go back to what I said earlier. For God loves a person who gives how? Cheerfully. Who gives with joy. And God will generously provide all you, what? Need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. What's mine is yours. That's the attitude. That's the heart. Because as the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God, and listen to this. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer or provides seed to the sower. And then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I want you to think real quick about that last verse. God will give seed to the farmer or seed to the sower. A farmer sows, so it goes together. So if deductive reasoning can tell us, if we don't sow, we don't get what? Seed. Well, we don't get harvest either. But to get the harvest, we got to have seed. And if we're not willing to sow seed, we're not going to get seed. God gives seed to the sower. So how do we view the resources that we have? Do we, are we committed to our resources solely meeting our needs and wants? Or are we committed to God taking what God has blessed us with and using it not just for our needs, but for a seed. And, God, and, and Paul says this, decide in your heart what you're going to give. So what should I decide in my heart to give? What should, how should I base my decision on what I'm, I, I should give? Well, again, I just want to give you what scripture says. 
right? And, and, and what you give, that's between you and God. But I want you to think and pray about what you give according to what God has taught throughout his word. Again, Jesus tells us that our treasure can't be more important than our relationship with God. And Jesus, even in Matthew, he goes on to, t- to show us that Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God in the depth. Nope. He didn't say the devil. You cannot serve God and money. See, why does Jesus talk about this so much? Because he knows how much money grabs our hearts and having it. See, God wants to know he is first in our life. And the way that we show God he is first can happen in various ways. But there's a principle that we see even from the very beginning that has been lived out to show God he was first. Genesis chapter four, the first two kids born brought an offering to God. Just real quick, I want you to see what it says in Genesis chapter four, verse three and four. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of the crops of his gift to the Lord. And then Abel also brought a gift the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel in his gift. This was a principle long before law was even thought about. Long before Moses ever came around and this covenant relationship was established with the nation of Israel. This was a principle that was being lived out. Why? Because of a relationship that someone had with God. And then we see Abraham. You can write these verses down. Genesis 14, 18 to 20. Abraham met the the priest Melchizedek and he gave him a tenth of his goods. He gave him, the scripture says, a tithe of his goods. We see that passage of scripture uh, uh, reflected on again in Hebrews. You can see where the author of Hebrews reflects on that and talks about that importance. In, In Genesis 28, 22, we see that Jacob made a declaration that he will give to God a tithe, a tenth of everything he has. Everything that God blesses him with. Was this being done because of a law that had been established with the nation? Or was it being done because of a relationship that a person had with God? It was out of a relationship. Jesus Christ, even he confronted the, uh, the Israelites because he, he, or the Jews and, and, the, and the priests and the rabbis. And he said, you tithe, you give a 10th of your cumin, a 10th of this, a 10th of that. And that is good. But what do you do over here? What he was saying is, where's your heart? Because here's what we need to think about too. We can give legalistically, but is our heart where God wants it to be? Jesus wants us to do both. He wants us to give because of the relationship that we have with God and let that joy of generosity overflow in our life. See, what was happening is there was a percentage mentality, a percentage giving mentality that was formed in their heart and in their mind. Tithing wasn't just about giving a a one out of every 10 things. It was about giving to God first and foremost in their life. This is a principle that I have lived from the time that I was a child. I was taught and shown this because I came to church. I was brought to church. I learned it. I was raised with it. My parents demonstrated it. They taught it to me. And I have lived with this principle all through my life. And Jenny and I today, we still live with this principle that the first thing we're going to do is we're going to give to God. 
God gets a, he, 10% is the, the minimal. It's the first thing that's set aside in our budget every month. This is going to be, and this is not touched. We, it doesn't matter if our kids have broken bones and that has happened sometimes at the same time, several of them. All right. But it, it doesn't, we, we've had car accidents and in, in, in the time where cars are as used cars are higher than new cars. All right. So we know the world, we know it, but this, the several hundred dollars over here that we could grab and can help us. Nope. We're not touching that because that's God's. That's the principle that we have lived by. And God has always been faithful to meet our needs. But we don't just hold to the 10% because Jesus came and the standard that Jesus set was he said, look, he took everything that had been taught and he raised it. So we want to say, what can we, we want to trust God and listen to God and see from God, where are you leading us to give in other areas? Above what we do for the house of the God, uh, the house of God. See, the, the ty- this type of giving exercises a faith in us because we're letting go of what, what we often put our trust in and put our confidence in rather than God. We're saying, okay, God, I'm letting go of this because I'm trusting you. This is why the principle of first fruits and tithing came about. It was a part of who we were called to be in God. So I just encourage you today to just ask God, what do you want me to do? And do it not because you feel pressured from something that me or anybody else says. Do it because you establish first and foremost a relationship with God. And you give because of the generosity that God is putting in your heart and you give with joy. What you have determined in your heart to give, not reluctantly, but you give it with such joy and such cheer because God has led you to do this. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find a link there to request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.